Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Tongue in Cheek the podcast. I'm Ilana. I'm Dina. And today we have a very special guest on. Today we are interviewing Sarah Galli. She is the co-creator and host of the Real Housewives podcast, Andy's Girls. Welcome, Sarah. Well, we are so honored to have you on here. We are such big fans. You have no idea. Oh my God. I listen. I mean, we both do really, but I listen to your podcast like every morning. It's the first thing I listen to. I'm so thrilled to have you on. It's such an honor. Oh my God. I'm so thrilled to be here. It's an honor for me. This is going to be so exciting. Also, I'm obsessed with your outfit. Can you tell me the deets? Like what's happening? I love it. Uh, <laughs> I'm wearing Lily Sudugi hair and earrings. Oh. Lots of proud details. <gasps> Everything purchased through I like to know it and Amazon pages. And oh then God. the top is actually, it's an old top shop top that I love so much. I had my alterations lady make me <gasps> and like a bunch of them. Oh my and god. Then Zada. I'm always in a long mm. skirt and this one's Zada. And then this best accessory is Simba, my toy oh poodle. My god. So cute. He's teething, so he <laughs> if I leave him alone, which makes for terrible audio. So he no, is joining please. us today. I love. That's amazing. You both look awesome. Gina, oh, you look amazing too. Thank you. Awesome. You're so sweet. I love the necklace. Tell me more about the long necklace, the pendant. Oh, these are all Jennifer Zuner. She's one of our like favorite designers, but also a very close friend. And she does the coolest pieces, everything you can get initialed. I think this necklace got turned, but it has my initials. Um, it has my name here. Then this one, okay. you can have your initials on each side of it. So on one, I have an S and on the other one, a D like for my first and last name. And then she oh also does God. earrings with your name. So I've and this is too. a friend of yours? Yes, but she's like the she, best well, She's in Saks, Neiman's, Intermix. You can find her stuff on Shopbop. Oh. But she happens to also be local to Boca. She was a client of mine at Intermix, and she just became a fast friend. She's amazing. She, we are Jewish, and she's part of the Jew crew. And I mean, shalom. Like, I'm a hero yeah, as well, part of the tribe. <laughs> so it's so nice to have someone <laughs> You know, like you just connect when we moved here. She was just, you know, like long hair, don't care, fabulous lady, Jewish lady. We all just connected really easily. Where do you guys live? Are you both based in the same area? Yes. We live across the street from each other. <laughs> oh my God. Where? In Boca Oh, love. Okay. I usually go to South Beach once a year to see family, which means see, you know, family for one dinner and then spend six <laughs> nights in yeah. Miami. Wow. <laughs> oh my God. Boca. Love a Boca connection. Amazing. Yes. When you come here, we all have to have a play date. Oh my God. Would love. Bring the dog, obviously. I love a dog. Yeah. I love a fluffy poodle. Moment. And you just bring your yeah. fabulous shoes. I mean, of course. Of course. I will bring Austin. Oh my God, I love a shoe party. Love a shoe party moment. Die for it. To die. This is just turning out to be the best day ever. I know. It really is. <laughs> Yay! It's so 
exciting to have you on here. Can you tell our listeners who probably already know a lot about you, but just a <laughs> bit of your story? Sure. Yeah, so, like how you yeah. get into everything and, and, you know, just also um, where, you know, that, like, what was the inception? Because it's a co-creator and I was very interested about that. Yeah, so I started Andy's Girls, which is the Real Housewives podcast that I host with a friend from college a few years ago. Essentially, I loved all things Bravo and Real Housewives so much and was talking in these long tangents on social media that I said to a friend I went to school with, you know, why don't you come over to my apartment on the Upper East Side one day and we'll just press record on a recorder and see what happens. And that was you know, the birth of Andy's Girls, the podcast that I now produce and host, which is all based on all things Bravo and Real Housewives, but it's really seen through the lens of psychology, like unpack, it's not a recap show, it's really unpacking um, the behavior of the women that we either love or love to loathe, you know, understanding our own experiences as human people in this world and how that influences our perceptions of the things that we see on TV. And, you know, the the whole spin that I like to say is that Andy's Girls is a mix of C-SPAN and Ayanla Fix My Life. So it's, <laughs> so it's talking about, you know, um, things that are happening on Bravo, specific really to Real Housewives, but it's looking at it through the lens of understanding why these women behave in the ways that they do and sort of lessons and and our own experiences and how that influences um our perception of what's happening on tv so that's i love that part of it <laughs> i am addicted to agatha christie books especially oh. miss Mar and Poirot, you know, Poirot. and I think that is why I was drawn, Dean and I said this actually on our, our first podcast, we were sort of introducing ourselves, both of us love the human study yes. of the show. People don't realize how much um, the psychology and the interesting character development that occurs can actually give this amazing different insight into the world. And as People, we moved a lot growing up and we mm. didn't necessarily have, um, you know, just like um, one study group of friends. So having friends mm. that you sort of know virtually <laughs> yes. and, and their friendship and their group dynamics. I will have, um, Dina and I are both stylists and we'll have clients I've seen all the time and things will happen and they'll share stories with us. And I'm like, I've seen this. I know how to handle this. There was a whole season about this on Housewives. Yes. <laughs> And I'm one of those people, you know, I'm an event producer by trade, which is sort of a rest in peace during the time of Corona, you know, events are naturally happening here in New York City, but um, I'm an event producer by trade, but worked in retail for many years. And I helped open the international flagship of like Kate Spade when it opened on Madison. And for a period of time, I was part-time, I worked two days a week and I was the number one seller at that location. And it wasn't because I knew anything about the clothing. It had nothing to do with it. They would give us, you know, little quizzes of whatever. And I was like, this isn't my thing. It was because I wanted to talk to people. So when someone came in, I would say, let's go to VIP. Let's open a bottle of champagne and let's just talk. I want to, you know, I don't know anything, honestly, about this clothing. I'm not the girl to ask about specifics. I'll tell you my thoughts if you're interested in sizing. But 
I'm more interested in just connecting with people because I live in New York and this is a city of human people. You walk down the street and you're not, there's no disguise in New York City. You know, you are who you are and the person that you meet on the street. And so for me, it's interesting to hear your perspective as stylist because I think so much of just my personal opinion of retail and of styling. And when it comes to real styling, which it sounds like you guys are both experts in, it's all about understanding that person that you're working with and building a rapport and building a connection. And the clothes are almost secondary. Would you agree? Is it like it, the narrative is really built around the personality, right? I completely agree. I mean, I, for instance, um, both Alana and I studied fashion in, um, mm in university but I did my my minor in psychology because a lot of it I knew like the way to really understand how to even dress somebody is to understand who they are what's motivating them what is driving them and with most people even though fashion in a certain way like you can say it's frivolous it's not because it's helping not. people explain their story and it really is bringing to life like the idea and the kind of fantasy or reality they want to be in that moment. And I think that's so beautiful. And that Alana and I, it's never about one thing we always say is that, you know, we don't style people to dress like us. We style them to kind of bring out what they want to in themselves, but help them take it up. Instead of most people are usually kind of more in the middle or they go down because they're scared. And as a stylist, it does for to still keep them in their own personal, like, what they want and what they love, but why also elevating them and making them feel the most beautiful. And I, so yeah. Much, no, I was just agreeing. There is so much of um, our job that's about knowing the person. You know, I once, I have actually the um, girl who does all our photography and she mm. does production for here and she started off as a client for me and then later a friend and she told me at one point basically that you know and until we actually became friends she didn't realize how much I knew about her and she didn't know about me but I was thinking in my head well I knew that because it's my job to listen to you to know everything about you to curate your wardrobe to suit your life your lifestyle and your needs so knowing what's going on in your life and your emotions and your interactions that's everything whereas for you don't need to know anything about me <laughs> and I think like you know when I watch shows for example you know mm -hmm. especially Bravo shows across the board not just the housewives I find it so interesting like I'm really studying and learning so much I did not minor in psychology but I feel mm -hmm. in a way I did because did. I majored in Bravo <laughs> oh, I love that. Oh, that's so smart. And I was just going to say, there's such an interesting comparison because I think style and fashion and clothing are so important in that they reveal a piece of yourself, hopefully, you know, a connection to your personality, what you're interested in, what you aspire to. You know, I'm a shoe girl. I was showing you my Manolo collection and I'm a, I'm a Manolo collector, but I also have a lot of different pieces, mostly full of color that are a lot of vintage, I'll collect a lot of vintage dresses and a part of the fun is like searching, you know, where you're sp spend hours looking for that certain dress. For me, it's like a jewel tone 50s or 60s, maybe it's chiffon or whatever. 
that you love. And think about that. I think about that a little when I ask people who their favorite real housewife is, because I think it's such a window into the personality of whomever, whichever Bravo holic I'm talking about either. It's someone that they aspire to be where it's like, oh, I'm a so-and-so, you know, I'm a Bethany. And then I think I'm a businesswoman, yada, yada. Or it's sort of a reminder of who you don't want to turn into, of I see myself as this personality type and I want to learn lessons from watching that person behave poorly that I can apply to my own personal life. I mean, I think housewives in many ways can be a mirror and a counter to how we live our lives every day. Absolutely. Dina and I play a game, actually, that is... Uh, <laughs> we have to play with you after. Oh my yeah. God, I love. I, can't, I love a game. I love a game moment. I'm so excited. Well, we've got this one game we do, which is sort of um, a nod to Luann, but it's um, call, text, delete, which will end our... our, our oh. Uh, but we also, Dina and I were playing a game with like, who are you? And we would be like, you know, your, your core is this and you're, you know, you've got a, 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 a wing of this and a type of this. And we would do it for all the people we're friends with and, you know, in our little group. And it's so funny because we were pretty spot on with people. Like no one was offended, essentially. Like we pretty much got it. That's great. I love that. I feel like it's a great way of having a connection with someone and you're pulling it from pop culture and all the better for it. I think that's amazing. That sounds who, awesome. Who do you, who for you then? Yeah, that's going to say, who do you identify as? I have a problematic favorite and we're like kind of in an, a little bit of an estrangement, but you know, my oh. number one, my like light of my life, even though she's problematic, I stand for Shan. I'm a Shannon Bedore person. And I know she's had a difficult journey, but I love her. I love her through her faults and through her fave moments. I just have a connection to her. And she, she's an example of someone where I'm like, okay, these are lessons to myself of things I don't necessarily want to do in my personal life, but I still feel so such tremendous sympathy for her in addition to empathy i i have no choice but to stand what about for you guys who are your who are your fave problematic or otherwise housewives i'm gonna let you go first dina okay so i feel like sometimes it changed but overall mm -hmm. like my all-time favorite no matter what happens it really is lisa vanderpump I have oh wow my oh, love for her wow. is so oh. deep. I, I also, wow. I think I meet her at Total Vine for a signing. And she was the most beautiful person She's I've ever beautiful. seen. And she She's was beautiful. so nice. And I didn't like, I didn't know what to expect. So like having that moment, I was like, oh my God. I love but, um, and then for more of a maybe problematic, a little okay. bit. But I also, which... I, oh, but I also have a love for Bethany. Like Bethany of is course, who I hope to be, but I know it's just not, I'm not there yet. But like I watch Bethany and I'm like, she is just amazing. Mm -hmm. like, I bow mm -hmm. to that. But I, I got to read. Oh, Dorit. I loved who takes a lot of chances with fashion. Oh my, my God. God. Everything wow. she wears, I swear, I've either worn or worn oh something God. similar. Like she would, how, whoever is styling her or if it's her, I am like obsessed with so many things. Oh my God, I love that. Like, Dina, so has, 
I don't even know if Dina has a style crush on Dorit or Dorit is like secretly looking at Dina and copying her because it definitely has that vibe. Oh my God, I love that. And what about for you? Who are your faves, problematic or otherwise? So for every city, I think I have one. Mm -hmm. It would be hard to answer for just like an overall. Right. But not to be cliche, I do love Bethany. I love her. She's more aspirational in Mm -hmm. the sense that like, I am very much, like I'm not a B personality, but I'm Mm -hmm. not as, well, (laughs) no pun intended because she's an A, but but, like, I want to be a B the way she's a B in terms Mm -hmm. of just being really clear with my Mm -hmm. thoughts and my drive and making sure that like my mission is really, you know, followed through in a way where I'm a great leader and also someone who sees things clearly because one of the things I admire about her so much which um you saw Bethany ever after and you also see it on her own um interactions on the housewife is she's very clear at stating the facts like she remembers things overall pretty unbiased Mm -hmm. and I admire that clarity that kind of understanding even if she emotionally feels something like that outside of that she's able to see like what kind of clearly went down plus she's really funny and yeah I was funny like I don't know like that sounds weird but I, I would I would want people to think she's witty she's funny you know like that to me is something I admire as well but in terms of who I actually think I am and I'm totally okay with it because I know it and I know we would be friends because I know we have some like mutual people even in common is mm-hmm. Tinsley. <laughs> Tinsley. Oh, I, I love Tinsley. She's love. just so and nice. And you know, she was in um, Intermix one day when I was working mm-hmm. and she was so sweet and gracious and lovely and kind and um, just a, like a very like not a person who the show had gotten to their head type of exactly. person really down to earth actually and not at all sort of stuffy and I just loved her and then obviously I mean Lisa Vanderpump to me is like wow. queen and a goddess as Danny Pellegrino would say like an yes. icon. I love her I just wow. think like I'm not saying that she wasn't someone who doesn't produce content I, I mm-hmm. definitely see that mm-hmm. but I also think that she is someone who just adds like um like a delicate touch to her producing she i feel like with rena for example who is funny mm. and i love her but you see her lines mm-hmm. whereas with vanderpump i feel like it was like watching an olympian you know ice skater you know mm. she really did just make the plot in my opinion overall flow and really kind of glided through it and i appreciate that I love that. And I think with, you know, LVP, she's a part of the first generation of Real Housewives who really broke through. I mean, they set this the foundation. And regardless of how people feel about them now, there are a core group of Real Housewives that were a part of making this franchise, this idea, this community, what it was. I would put Bethany in that bucket. I would put LVP in that bucket. I would put Nene in that bucket. And I would put Teresa in that bucket. I mean, of people who really set the standard and created so many iconic moments before we even understood what this world was, 
that we still pull from even today. I mean, there are, uh, you guys both made great choices. I think, oh, you know, you. all of those women are so influential, so foundational. You. <laughs> you both did a great job. That's awesome. That's great. I hear anyone be like... <laughs> Um, is there anyone besides Shannon who you like is one of your favorites? You know, it's interesting. I'm an OG of the Bethany. Um, I have loved her for so long. We had a complicated relationship. I would say when she returned, it felt a little, it rang a little false for me. The ways in which she was turning, returning, the ways in which she was reacting to things. And that kind of makes sense when you think of the reality of the fact that she has been obviously the most successful of any housewife of monetizing her time on reality TV. And really, you know, if Skinny Girl hadn't been the huge financial and, and like pop culture success that it was, I have no doubt that she would have done the same thing as far as a level of success with another idea. She's just a born businesswoman and entrepreneur. And it's been a difficult struggle with her off and on since she's returned just with some of the choices that she's made. And she's a complicated woman. She's, which is frankly part of the reason that we love her. But I would say as far as the new generation, there is no one that has a closer connection to my heart than Portia. Oh, who I has done Portia. so much, who, who, you know, as Andy himself said, you know, she was possibly going to be a one and done housewife. She was looking to be, you know, she had that weird kind of marriage with Cordell and her storyline was complicated and it felt a little bit like she was fighting amongst herself. Like she was fighting at herself. Who is the Portia that I want to show on TV? How do I want to show and reflect a relationship that we now know was kind of crumbling or, or built on unsteady ground? And what she has done with her platform as a real housewife as far as social good and just the enjoyment that she's brought to so many of us. I think she's crucial. She's the foundation of Atlanta like nobody else. And I think she also, you know, she's a lesson for us of how to parlay fame and celebrity from a reality TV platform into doing actual real good. And she doesn't do it at risk of, of not entertaining, you know, like I'm, the things I'm hearing about Atlanta filming next season, it's going to be crazy, insane. The rumors that I'm hearing, production information that I'm hearing, it's going to be completely like in the best case scenario entirely wackadoo like in the best way and she's equal parts voice of the audience and her own funny particular voice she's very very funny herself she's very smart and she's an example of someone who used her time in her first reunion to really like push back she was kind of combative with the women and you know, defensive of her marriage, which, you know, sort of fell apart shortly thereafter. And the way that she's changed and evolved and grown as a real housewife and a woman, you know, and a mother now, she's a mom, is just really incredibly inspiring. And I love her. I also just think she's so fun. She's so witty. I love her so much. When I first came into Atlanta, it was after Dina. And so I was like kind of texting her and messaging her my thoughts. Mm. And I was saying stuff about Portia. She's like, wait till next season. Yeah. Because she changes. 
And I love Portia. She is one of my favorite for sure. She's not someone I see myself in at all. Yeah, I But I you. think she's one of the people on television. I honestly think she's Emmy Award winning comedy. Yes. I'm not surprised that she has the top. She's on, was it called The Morning Show? What's the other show that she's on with? It's, um, um, you know what? I'm going to mess up the name of it. I want to say it's Bravo Chat Room, I want to say. I think I'm messing that up. But it's her new talk yeah, show with I, Kate Chastain. Yeah. What is the name of it? Do we need to do a quick Google? Am I having a moment? I know the name of it. Portia Radio Show. It's like Radio... Portia, ba, 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 ba. Ricky Smiley. Oh, Dish Nation. Dish Nation. Dish Nation. Okay, yes. Okay, so I, I, I like, especially more on YouTube than on the radio, but I will, like, mm -hmm. watch her, listen to her, and I just think she is one of the wittiest women on this planet. She's yes. gorgeous. And so then gorgeous. she's so clever, and in that way, she's so aspirational because mm -hmm. she is just... And, you know, yes, I absolutely think more important than anything, the social good that she's been doing is incredible. incredible. But also, just speaking to what you were saying, even the fact that she's parlayed her career as someone who's a housewife into this incredible career outside um, that media into mm -hmm. different media, and she's as witty, as clever, you know, when she's not edited by the same team, she is as glorious and wonderful and insightful as ever. And she is constantly cracking me up. I don't think there's many people on this planet who are as quick-witted. I think you're totally right. I think you're spot on. And, and I think she's a part of the new wave. You know, people ask me, you know, is housewives, do you see housewives in another five years? Like, what do you see for the journey of real housewives? And I think Portia is the greatest example for the fact that I don't see real housewives going anywhere because she's constantly bettering herself, bettering all of us and not doing so at the risk of not you know, being a part of great TV. She's still herself. She's still gonna be a part of conflict. She's still gonna be funny. But she's also doing this other stuff too, which frankly, to me as a Bravo-holic, only helps us in the Bravo community because it shows the power of using your voice, the power and influence that can come from being a Bravo celebrity to a celebrity. You know, I think um, it shows us that this world, this community really, I don't think is going anywhere, which I love. I think that's great. Yeah. There's no better example of it to me than Portia in real time. wild Atlanta. I think we deserve it. We deserve to have some great TV, some great seasons. Well, after um, Hills, I think we deserve a lot, including a formal apology from Bravo. What did you think of Beverly oh, Hills past season? Um, that's an interesting point. You know, I was team Denise. I put it into two camps that are sort of unfair, but such is life. There's team Denise and team everybody else. And with Denise, I, <laughs> with Denise, I just kind of felt like regardless of how disinterested she is in developing real relationships with her cast members, which I can appreciate based on what they were flinging her way on camera, it just felt incredibly disingenuous. Um, bringing on Brandy, who has a vested interest in returning um, the... 
sort of dysfunction inherent in, I think, Team Everyone Else's strategy and the idea that like Lisa Rinna, for example, of all people, who is incredibly not forthcoming in any way related anyway. to it. And she, her thing of talking about her personal life is to talk about her daughter's struggles, which is not the same from your own. And if you're going to only talk about your daughter's struggles, you can't be so easily sensitive and offended when someone talks about parenting because otherwise if we're not talking about your parenting and your kid what are we left with so when it was team denise versus everyone else it just felt like there was a lot of glee from teddy and kyle just about having what they felt was like a juicy plot point and it was coming from somebody who had a vested interest in returning to tv it was coming from someone who wasn't a full-time part of the cast and it just felt really overplayed and overdone and there was a reason these women were happy to bring it up on camera and a sense of like vengefulness i felt was lurking right underneath the surface which wasn't an uncomfortable place for me to be as a viewer because denise's stakes as a real housewife to me are very different from anyone else in the cast um she doesn't have the trust with these women, aside from her past with Rinna, as they do with each other. And and so it felt sort of like an unfair fight of like all against one. And while, you know, the beginning of the season was, I thought, really fantastic with a lot of excellent energetic episodes. By the end, I just felt like this was a group dynamic where these women were looking at Denise as like their meal ticket and she was going to bring the drama that they were disinterested in supplying themselves and that just wasn't ideal for me but what do you guys think whose side were you on Denise versus everyone else um I agreed I was on Denise's because but more so exactly what you said it just felt like a very contrived very planned mm -hmm. season I felt like Kyle Teddy Lisa Renna Erica have all made like an alliance and mm -hmm. Erica I feel like every season we've lost more and more of who she is 100% and last season like she by the reunion she was done you could just see she whatever Kyle was saying she was going to kind of play along to mm -hmm. and I do find it like you said so funny that Erica and Lisa the two women who we know nothing about their right. relationships or anything are so like the ones like saying own it and express yourself they i just don't understand it like i, I don't know i just don't yeah but more so yeah but kyle at least in the beginning shared but now yes. with lisa why have we never learned why kim why she broke the glass yes in amsterdam yes. Or I wherever it was. Yeah, 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 I need to know. Like, I've always wondered what was happening, what's going on. And she's so amazing at making it seem like she's so open and so genuine. Mm -hmm. when she, I feel like she's not at all. And, you know, Lisa Rinna is such a fantastic housewife, but I feel like she wants it both ways, as do, you know, like most everyone at this point, where she wants to be seen as like the queen, you know, the favorite of the audience the funny person, the voice of, you know, like the Greek chorus, but she isn't actually playing that part on camera. And, you know, there's a conversation that I have on Andy's Girls pretty frequently of like, respect your villains, you know, regardless of how you might personally feel about someone's motivation and behavior on camera, understand that they're a necessary part in which to produce and 
um, uh, you know, like forward oneself into plot. And Lisa Rinna is an example of that, where even though she's highly produced, even though we don't know a lot about her, the ways in which she manipulates her time on camera, the other women, whatever else, is actually sort of important, at least in the world of Beverly Hills, where there is a little bit of an extra layer of artificial on top of everything else. You know, like the pulling of the Beverly Hills aspect, Hollywood, some of these people were already, um, you know, names in whatever industry prior to joining. And with Rinna, it's frustrating to follow her in real time on social media because you can feel her wanting both worlds where she's like, I daily dance, I'm, you know, an icon. I'm like a gay icon, queen, whatever. And it's just like, you're not though. A lot of us <laughs> are, I mean, I'm not part of the gay community, but I know a lot of people who've come on Annie's Rolls who are like not buying into what Rinna is selling. And, and I'm not into her mom. Oh, see, I actually like, I like her mom. But, I, but with, with Rena, I'm like, next season, I need to see Garcelle armed with a real ally. And I need to see Rena in a position where it doesn't feel like she's constantly supported and protected against herself. I don't think she's worthy of it. I don't think she's deserving of it. And more importantly, on top of everything else, I don't think it's good TV in the current structure that it is. Well, and, oh, sorry. No, please go, go for it. <laughs> I was gonna add this season of Beverly Hills and I agree with you. I think there is a level of artificial and superficiality that is mm -hmm. probably true to the nature of Beverly Hills itself and also sort of pours into the show a little heavier than on other shows. But this whole season has sort of been like rumors without inspection with the kind of golds for deflection. So there's mm -hmm. nothing real that's come out of it, except for, to me, it's become glaringly obvious how many people are sort of calling for something that they're not offering themselves. Mm -hmm. And with Garcelle, the fact that, um, I'm, I'm sure you've heard, but just as a reminder to anyone listening, there was that whole kind of... Um, Garcelle came out and explained that actually the conversation with Rinna, mm -hmm. where she was discussing um, the the anorexia of her daughter and mm -hmm. whether Rinna blames herself was part of the conversation mm -hmm. where she was discussing her son's drug use. Mm -hmm. Things like that, I feel like it's a real shame that production cut that because exactly. I think that's the type of thing we need to see more of mm -hmm. and less sort of, of Rinna playing the audience. I. I saw recently some um, posts from Rena where she's calling for everyone to tell Bravo what we want. <laughs> and I think it's kind of clear what people want who watch the franchise, which is to sort of actually see authenticity without people using words like authenticity, own it, and, you know, honesty, all those words, because it's sort of like Jennifer Lopez. The more you say I'm real, the less I believe you. Like, mm. stop kind of calling for these things that you're not providing. I mm -hmm. love Jersey Shore, Jersey Shore, Real Housewives of New Jersey, I do love yeah. Jersey Shore, Real <laughs> and Real Early Beverly Hills because mm -hmm. they were so raw and authentic because they actually used real family members interacting mm -hmm. and you felt, I don't think many people could watch it and not have some attachment like, oh, this has happened to me or a mm -hmm. family member or something and the dynamic holds so real. Mm -hmm. And that no longer exists as, as the show kind of went on, a trope of it is sort of this very um, 
artificial plot lines where mm -hmm. they're sort of, like you said, a villain and someone who has a great first season, their second season is sort of being dragged through the mud. And I want less of that and more of the real dynamics that I can sort of look at the psychology because it kind of breaks my heart that I sort of in my head imagine someone in production which I would love to see more of it. <laughs> it breaks my heart that someone in production is kind of sitting there like, this fight has to happen at this dinner because of this thing. And someone's like, I got it, I'm going in. And I see mm -hmm. sort of like a Tamara being someone who did a lot of that. Mm -hmm. And I want less of that. I want more of someone who comes in and is just like, let's see how this all kind of happens. Well, mm -hmm. I think Potomac is such an amazing, New York and Potomac, I think at least, mm -hmm. always bring it, it feels authentic. I don't feel mm -hmm. like it. Sometimes the conversations with New York when they're randomly on the streets and they're talking to each other, I think those are produced and pre-planned. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. But usually it is like a very, very, to me, authentic show. I love these women. And watching even how they interact with each other to just the different relationships each story brings, they always are giving us so much. Mm -hmm. I mean, Monique, this last episode. Oh. Oh, so cute though. So I, I feel like she went in strong. I that was, yeah, that's a difficult dynamic. Tell us all your thoughts on Potomac the fight. Are you Candace? Are you Monique? Are you somewhere in between? I mean, I'm team great TV, which is such a cop out. I think that the what there are many reasons why Potomac succeeds over anybody else in terms of like current, you know, franchise excellence. And I think a large part is the fact that, you know, Potomac came to be after, you know, Housewives already broke out, but it wasn't initially produced as a Housewives show. It was supposed to be about Jack and Jill, this um, club and membership that upscale um, Black women in their community join with their kids and, and sort of almost like a society kind of environment. And then I think after the, you know, first season or whatever was filmed, it was shifted into being um, a real housewife show. And what is so important to me on Potomac is that we didn't know any of these women before we saw the first episode in the first premiere that these feel like women who have actual stakes in the relationship, you know, nothing is better to me than Giselle and Karen arguing about who won a cookie bake. You know what I'm saying? Like that to me is solid gold in terms of TV. The fact that there is this like frenemy situation with Karen and Giselle where they go from being incredibly combative to mutual understanding and respect to what looks like now just as close to enemies potentially <laughs> offline as one can be from some stuff that Karen is saying about Giselle in real time. But that's what's important to me. That's the heart and soul of Housewives. And, you know, we were just talking about Beverly Hills, which has struggled, I would say, in the last couple seasons. And a part of that is because, understandably so, but they're pulling women from the soap opera world. They're pulling women from Hollywood who have a name or live in this world which is in many ways make believe and they don't feel grounded in any way these are women who understand the performative nature of housewifery which can be good on one hand but on the other it's like how much of this is real like do you really know each other do you really care is it just because you're filming and then if you develop a relationship off camera that's a different situation than in potomac where these are grown women who have 
you know, relationships with each other where they're, you know, at the end of the day, the moral of the story is always about stakes. Do you care when you're in a fight with somebody else, when you're feeling conflict, is it not only about conflict, but also about admiration and mutual respect or not? And that is really important to me. And one of the reasons why I connect so fully with Potomac and when it comes to the altercation, there was an article written in Vice that came out this week by a writer, Rachel Miller, which um, picks apart the reasons in which there's an aspect of um, respectability politics in the idea that these women have to sort of pick apart the minutia of am I representative of my race when I'm on reality TV? And, the, and you know, it's an article that I'd recommend a lot of people, ev everyone to read, because I myself as, as a white woman understood and learned a lot from that piece. And what I came away with understanding is, regardless of whose side I'm on, which is like a different conversation, when it <laughs> comes to the idea of Monique's standing as being representative for all Black women or for the community is really unfair to Monique. And it's also unfair to the women asking the question because that deals more with like society and systemic racism and the idea that Black women have to be representative for their group that white women do not. And when you look at altercations in quotes and physical moments among other franchises, Teresa comes up an awful lot when you think about that they're not judged under the same lens. So I just want to make that that very clear. And, and for your listeners who are list, interested in reading a long form piece that really dives deep, I couldn't, you know, more, more passionately encourage reading that piece because I thought it was incredibly interesting and very well written. Um, but in terms of whose side am I on? <laughs> so <laughs> um, I have to say, I remain concerned for Monique that she seems so totally unwilling to accept responsibility at the end of the day for, you know, this physical altercation. But it also makes you think that, you know, Monique has brought up on these Instagram lives that are no longer allowed for anybody in the cast of Potomac that she has felt a lot of frustration for these women about rumors that were allegedly being spread about the paternity of her youngest son who's I think whose name is I think Chase oh. and and she's talked a lot on camera the women have talked a lot about the idea that Monique is maybe having an affair with her trainer or whatever but that wasn't actually the original gossip that these women were strategizing about allegedly and I look at Monique's anger toward Candace and in many ways her anger toward Candace being representative of her anger toward other women in the group and I think of that moment where she's holding onto Candace's hair and refusing to let go and I think regardless of how we feel about you know physical violence it feels like in this moment she was letting out a lot of frustration and anger that she had about uh, these other women from behind the scenes stuff, from stuff that's appeared on camera that has maybe lasted even more than a season. And in that moment, potentially what she was hearing in her head was like, let go of this. Like, it's enough. Don't do this thing that you're doing. And she felt like she needed to hold on. That it was finally the moment where she was, instead of putting things in a box, you know, where she's talked about in confessionals, putting stuff in a box and a shelf she was finally letting it out and it was pouring out. And of course it was coming out in a way that we as viewers at home hopefully wish she hadn't, but 
there was a reason that this was happening. And I think what's been difficult for those of us who empathize with Monique to see her go on Watch What Happens and rebuke any idea of feeling apologetic for being physically violent in the moment. But then I think about what she's holding on to internally and I have no choice but to really think, regardless of how you're handling this, how you've used the blogs to maybe spread some storylines about somebody else initiating it that wasn't you yourself and not, you know, like <laughs> Monique herself, it really makes you kind of think this was all building up. Like it was almost inevitable that this was gonna happen. And, and it felt like for Monique, it was a release. And I think that's maybe why she hasn't felt comfortable or interested really is probably the better way to put it in feeling regret for the altercation, regardless of the language she's used and how she's yeah. tried to like rewrite the narrative. It feels a little bit like this was a woman who had a lot of anger and frustration and hurt about what these women were talking about behind the scenes. She didn't want to talk about it on camera to give it more light, but she also felt like she just felt hurt and maybe frustrated. And this was her opportunity to let it out. Instead of being passive aggressive, which she'd been, this was a moment of release and I think that's what we saw on camera so I'm, I'm team Monique in life in the moment I I can only empathize with Candace but in life I'm team Monique what about you guys what are your thoughts Look, can I just say as a side note yeah I think that you should have a class like at NYU of all things because <laughs> I can listen to you talk all day and night and you just say everything so eloquently oh thank you I, I really I mean I'm glad you have a podcast but I also think that <laughs> live viewing you know, in a sort of auditorium forum would suit you. I'm down. Thank you. That's so sweet. But well, tell before, me your thoughts. Tell me your oh, thoughts. Wait, before we answer, I just have a quick question. You had Please. said that there was another rumor that was supposedly got, like, yes. like, what was that? So the, the rumor that we're seeing on camera is that Monique is maybe having an affair with her trainer. The rumor that allegedly these women were conspiring after attending Andy's baby shower that, you know, the, a, a group of these women went to dinner is that maybe spreading the idea that Monique's youngest son oh, Chase okay. wasn't actually Chris's. He was somebody else's, whether it's the trainer or someone else. And it seems like the women decided that would be either super disrespectful to the child to like invoke a minor child into this whole buildup or it was completely unbelievable or whatever else they went with the trainer stuff but Monique I think in the back of her head knowing these rumors and conversations that her cast members were having about how to essentially try to destroy her right how yeah. to act up against her knew that they were allegedly talking about her kid and I think that influenced a lot of her behavior and her uh, sensitivity to talking about any of this on camera because she's in the back of her head thinking like you were trying to mess with not only my marriage but my family and I think that influences a lot of her um, anger and frustration. And you see a lot. Wait, sorry. Do you think that Candace um, knew then? Do you think Candace played a role in this? I don't think Candace was like the one raising the idea of doing this. I think it sounds like from several of the women that that was, you know, Giselle was taking, you know, like the alpha role in that aspect. But I think 
Monique's frustration with Candace was that Candace didn't immediately come to her and tell her what these women were discussing. And for Monique, that like crossed a line of friendship in the sense that if you know as a cast member, as part of production, as someone who understands that when you're having when you're talking about, you know, like these rumors and gossip, it's not just a group of friends, it's a group of friends versus a mil plus a million viewers, that Monique felt um, betrayed. And I think because she and Candace had reached a point, you know, at the reunion where they're hugging, they're crying, I miss you, I miss you, whatever, she felt like she was opening the door to trust and, and Candace not being forthright, according to Monique, just slammed that door right shut. And I think that set up the dynamic between the two of them. She doesn't think Giselle, she doesn't trust Giselle enough to be hurt at that level when Giselle potentially conspires against her. But with Candace, I think that she had more trust. And that has led to the frustration that we see, you know, played out on camera. I had heard that rumor. I thought actually we discussed it um, in our last podcast a little bit, but maybe I just heard it in between the two podcasts. Because one of the things I had heard, which I thought was very interesting, was what you had said was that Giselle was the one who had really spearheaded it. Mm -hmm. And I feel that, like, to me, if you look at even the fight, I think Giselle was very involved in this way where she was standing sort of in the background, both mm -hmm. literally in that occasion but also throughout the season I mean it's Giselle who keeps saying big boy this and you know mentioning the trainer and mentioning it's not really coming from anyone else but Giselle so I I definitely think that even if in the moment she wasn't sure who was really that you know she, maybe mm -hmm. she got Charisse or Candace I definitely think that Giselle has had such a long history of disliking mm -hmm. Monique and Monique did do that kind of messy stuff with Sherman's ex mm -hmm. that it's also not yes. surprising because these women are patient when they want to get back at someone. They really mm -hmm. wait until they have a, a rumor that could crush your, their soul, if you will. But I, I definitely yeah. think in this fight, just kind of going back to what you were saying before, I think that one of the things that maybe, and I'm not saying this, obviously I have no medical degree and I'm not saying this with any proof, but I think some of the behaviors from Monique, even, you know, like, T'Challa themes that mm -hmm. therapeutic, her haircut, you mm -hmm. know, just a few little things. I think there might be some sort of depression postpartum. And I know Ashley's being very forthright in discussing it mm -hmm. and discussing what she's going through. And I don't know even if Monique is fully recognizing it because she seems the type of person a bit, if we look at sort of past behavior mm -hmm. that she really suppresses her negative. Type A, very, very type A. Yeah, 100%. So I really feel like part of one of the reasons that I don't want to call it an outburst because I feel like that undermines mm -hmm. the violent nature of what happened but I, mm -hmm. I, I but part of kind of this build-up that you were talking about I also mm -hmm. think it might have to do with not just the rumors and the cast and the pressure and all that other stuff but also might be some kind of because that's where a lot of my sympathy is going from as mm -hmm. soon as we met T'Challa and mm -hmm. she has a baby that's about the same age and she potty trained both of them incredibly fast by the mm -hmm. way but I uh, you know I started thinking, well, this is something very therapeutic. I mean, this this by her shoulder it has some sort of, there is something happening on a psychological level here with this bird that it is giving her some sort of sense of being able to be both rooted and fly away somehow. Mm. And 
something very um, metaphorically, but also quite literally powerful in her relationship with this bird. And I know we all just love like the little funny things production does with the captions and, and everything. Yes. I think it's a sign of something much more psychological, just given the enormity of her life. She has three children, she, they have pets, mm -hmm. she has a husband who's quite demanding and a life and career that's quite demanding that she added on another dependent but something that would be so dependent on her in a different way, it wouldn't kind of be something that would develop to, you know, talk back or develop mm -hmm. to have opinions. It's something that would just be needed to her in this sort of constant way might be soothing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I definitely felt, because for me, when I was looking at her eyes, what I was really seeing was a woman who everything is so much that the only way she can escape it is to really check out. And mm -hmm. I don't know that she has had any opportunity to check out. And I, I personally, when I watched it, my immediate reaction was neither woman was in the right. Like, I don't think Candace mm -hmm. is a victim of the, of the argument, but I think she was a victim of the fight, if that makes sense. A hundred percent does. These are all awesome points. My God, T'Challa alone. <laughs> Keep going. This is awesome. Yeah. I was just saying, so for me, having, having like watched that interaction, I felt like part of her snapping was because she, she's been ready to snap. They showed that scene with her where she was saying, you know, she compartmentalizes everything and she's just putting something else on the, sh the shelf. And obviously that was sort of um, a, a foreshadowing of what was to come. Mm -hmm. But I just kept thinking about the fact that then this episode where they're kind of giving her like the bad edit and trying to make her look like she was being dishonest with what she remembers and everything and I was thinking that doesn't make it untrue I mean she really seems like a broken woman to me. Mm. so for me watching it I felt more sympathy towards her because I think she's mm -hmm. been pushed her breaking point where mm -hmm. as with Candace she had enough mental I uh, you know forthright mm -hmm. to not lose her wig literally right. I mean, she, she kept herself pretty composed during the whole thing I mean it's horrible what happened to her I'm not trying to take away from yeah that. of course of course but I mean in terms of she literally had so much control that she didn't even with the amount of tugging that this woman was doing she mm -hmm. came out like I just kept on seeing Snooky in my head bouncing back going I'm still mm. she still was composed whereas Monique I mean, my hero of the show is definitely James for the second time because he just <laughs> Yeah, poor James. Oh my God. When she's trying to fight him for the door. Mm -hmm. I mean, this woman was checked out. She just, she said it in this episode that was most recent, her adrenaline is still running at mm -hmm. such a level. She mm -hmm. doesn't even know why she's upset. She just knows mm -hmm. she's upset. Right. So I really feel for Monique. Sorry, I went on mm -hmm. a tangent. But no, I, I think that was awesome. That was a great perspective. That was incredible. Good for you. Oh my God, that was a great. Dina, what are your thoughts? Whose side are you on? Well, okay, so originally, because I've always loved Monique, but, and I do think Candace has, doesn't always articulate herself in the best mm -hmm. way. I think she's very mm -hmm. aggressive to people. She knows how to antagonize, and mm -hmm. she does sometimes to me go, using her words as violence. However, I did mm -hmm. not agree with Monique at the end of the episode when she was saying mm -hmm. that the words are just as, are equal to Yeah, oh, that's a great moment. That's I don't agree moment. with her on that point. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I do think just like um, 
like, you know, with Kenya and Portia and that whole fight, I do think you can push somebody to the point mm-hmm. where you can break them if you're mentally abusing them over and over again. Mm-hmm. Do I feel like Candace was mentally abusing Monique over and over mm-hmm. again? No. But I do mm-hmm. think Kenya was to Portia. But mm-hmm. on another. So I think <laughs> when I was watching at first, I was a little bit more on Candace's side, but I kind of had a deep dive with Ilana and we went through it. And then I started to really watch it like point by point and seeing how everything went down. And when I watched the therapy between Candace and mm-hmm. that's actually when I kind of lost a bit of my sympathy for Candace because mm. she took no responsibility. He mm-hmm. asked her a few times, do you have any guilt? Do you feel you played any role? Do you see up to this point? And I think as any person, of course, in any fight, two people play a role, mm-hmm. one, or at least to even try to understand their mm-hmm. psychology or play devil's advocate. And mm-hmm. then she said that she really had a deep talk with herself and felt like nothing was wrong. I was shocked. And I think that's when I was like, okay, so there has to be more to this story. Mm-hmm. There has to be more coming out. And then even knowing when Monique was sort of describing everything, I did feel bad for her, but I also did feel like she has, like she doesn't seem to have any remorse. And I know she said she doesn't. Mm-hmm. You would think she would have a little. Mm-hmm. Of course, of Just course. Even the fact that this, that, after all this, she, the mm-hmm. Candace was able to make her like have that reaction. Mm-hmm. However, I do think Candace is just as violent. And I felt it was weird that Giselle had felt the need to bring security when Candace has done stuff with a knife, mm-hmm. when Candace has been just as like, I'm ready to like- Reactive. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I thought that was interesting that she was so kind of picking on Monique for that when mm-hmm. that's kind of everywhere. But Monique just gave Giselle the opportunity Giselle wanted. Giselle wanted to take her down with a plot line and instead Giselle just let Monique take herself down. And I'm not sure who actually pushed Monique during the fight where when Candace was grabbing her. And I genuinely mm-hmm. actually think rewatching the video so many times that likely as not, it was a coincidence that at the same time Candace reached for her collar, someone pushed her back. Yeah, I think it was Giselle. Giselle was trying to de-escalate and it did the opposite. Yeah. But I don't think that, personally, I don't think the Green Eyed Bandits were in any way (laughs) sad to see Monique fall. They Mm -hmm. don't like her. She had the incident with the umbrella from the second Giselle looked at Monique. She just Mm -hmm. had bad feelings towards her. You know, I don't think she liked that she was really quick on her feet and Mm -hmm. noticed, like, you know, what Giselle was trying to do and was able to kind of step in the game very easily. Mm -hmm. And... I definitely think, you know, because after that, their history built in a negative place. I don't mm-hmm. think Giselle ever came back from that. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I, I, I felt like they, they didn't necessarily incite the fight, but I definitely don't think that they're part of any kind of trying to fix it. Like when she showed up with the security, I was like, you're just being so messy. Two minutes later, Ashley walks in with baby Dean, mm-hmm. who like, is the most innocent at all. And when Robin was making the argument that Monique took baby Dean as in a political move, and then I heard someone else on a podcast say that, and I took it so differently. 
when I'm emotional, I want to hug a puppy. I want to hold a baby. Like you want affection from an innocent who will never judge you. It made me think mm. of Sergeant Bilko with Steve Martin when he was crying and he was sad. And he's like, I just want a little puppy who will love me and never judge me and kiss me and think I'm wonderful. And I think that's what she wanted. I think she wanted, she had a room of people against her and she just wanted something affectionate close to her. What she really probably wanted was T'Challa. Did you just pull out a reference to Sergeant Bilko? Can we I just take a moment to shine a light on that? <laughs> Holy shit. What? That is iconic. That is an iconic poem. She always quotes that movie since she was a little, little girl because <laughs> our father would watch it with her. And, and like, oh we all would watch God. it, but she really related to that movie. Anytime I'm invited anywhere, I say weather permitting. <laughs> <laughs>
when I was there, I want to say last year, and another here in New York, and we ended up doing it at the Regency. And, you know, toward the tail end of the Kiki, it's like a bunch of Andy's Girls listeners. And who walks in the Regency but Harry Dubin, who's like, who are you? He gave me his cell. He kissed me on the cheek. He was like, let's let's talk. I never contacted him. <laughs> uh, I feared for my safety, and <laughs> I just left away. Um, but the majority of, of the Bravo celebrities, I would say that I've interacted with have all been, you know, really great. I, I um, uh, have met several, you know, if you love LVP, I, you know, was very fortunate to, you know, attend BravoCon and um, with my- I wish I could have oh, it was it was incredible. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm what's called a um, certified Bravo-holic by the network, so they- have been incredibly generous and supportive of myself and it's like 20 something other bravo holic you know like bravo instagram accounts or podcasters or whatever and um and so a group of us you know we're hanging out at BravoCon, and there was a vanderpump rules night and we were and it, it was like in this huge space in one of the BravoCon buildings and it essentially was like a balcony area where the cast of Vanderpump Rules was and some of the kids, some of the people from like Summer House and Below Deck. And then there was like swarms of fans, just like grasping, trying to get selfies, trying to get photos, trying to get the cast attention. So it was like a small group of people and then everybody else in a sea of fans. And so myself and a friend of mine who's a writer for New York Magazine and my friends Bravo Batch were able to they're oh, phenomenal. We're able to get onto the, we were allowed into the VIP area. So it was like us and the cast of Vanderbump Rules. So I spent the night next to Lala, who's like dancing to her own song as James is doing his like DJ thing on stage. And we're just like shooting the shit, to be honest. Like hanging out. I've met her before. I've interviewed her and Ariana and uh, for Andy's Girls. And they're just so great. So if you're a fan of Pump Rules, like asking LVP for a selfie, she's like literally right there a foot away from me for hours. It was just incredible. It was, it was actually slightly insane because you went from being a part of the sea to the sea itself parting us. We were, we were uh, honored enough to get entered into this space and then you become not the person reaching out for the selfie, but the person on the other end. And we're not like Bravo celebrities. So it was this. You are to me. You are. <laughs> You're so sweet. Was, there, was there anyone you met who like was, was not like what you expected? Like who was, who, let's say, let's say Bethany would say peak and valley of people. The peak would probably be Ariana, who is an angel sent from heaven, who I have met several times. She re literally remembered me from interviewing her for like five minutes at Watch What Happens months prior and remembered me when I saw her. I saw her a couple times at Bravo. She's just like an angel, the sweetest, kindest, most generous, incredibly respectful to her fans and supporters. She was great. So she would be the peak. And the valley, unfortunately, was Stasi, who did not seem super interested in being there, wasn't thrilled. Understanding it is, I'm sure, an exhausting endeavor, not only to fly from Los Angeles to New York for this event, but being an event where there's a lot of stuff happening, there's a lot of noises, a lot of crowds, but 
there's a way still regardless of how you're feeling or how exhausted that you are to interact with people and i don't think that she was as interested in you know really mm, being as open and friendly as other members of her cast and i've met the toms before schwartz and sandoval they are like sweethearts and ariana's amazing lala was great i've met james uh i want to say twice he was great even jack seemed more into it oh wow <laughs> that Jack's was yeah and sassy it was exactly what you said she just sort of runs away from everyone yeah she wasn't there was a moment where she said something along the lines of i talked about this on an andy sprawls episode with um uh alara marie uh shane Holes, who um hosts sups sex unique podcast and at the end of that episode i talked a little bit about my stassi interaction and i honestly forget exactly what she said what stassi said but it was something along the lines of stassi and kristen watched out walked out saw all the people not kristen kristen i met was amazing it was stassi and katie walked out saw all the people and stassi said and i'm fucking up this line so if you're interested in the exact specifics i say it on that andy's girls app but it was something along the lines of like you know, like pretend they're not there, ignore them. And like, don't look at them directly in the eye is what she said, referring to the fans so that she wouldn't have to go over to people, interact with them, take selfies. And it was definitely like deflating in the moment because it took you out of the joy. But that was one interaction of a bajillion that took place that weekend. And the network had done such an extraordinary job and the day after that was so amazing that it was like, okay, this person is maybe not thrilled about being here, but let's focus on the 99% of everybody else who couldn't have been lovelier, who made so many great moments for so many people, you know, that really made that weekend one to remember, I would but say. That is such a waiter or waitress like trick because I always, when I'm calling over a waiter and we are very annoying people at restaurants, <laughs> oh, look me at the eye and I know they're doing it on purpose. And now I know that they carry it on to the rest of their life. I mean, I would say no disrespect to Stassi, but her, you know, server days have, are several years beyond where she is right now in her life. I think that's actually a Stassi personality trait because <laughs> You look at everybody else in that cast and they are friendly and respectful, at least when they well, need to be. And, and she's, she's clearly not. I'm surprised you said Lala was, cause I've heard like it from different, sometimes blogs I've read or different things that like she's not the friendliest person. So it's so cool to hear she is. Cause I think she's really talented and she has such a beautiful voice. And I would love to like, you know, find her not scary. I didn't care for the way <laughs> she acted towards Raquel. I oh, a hundred percent. Because I relate to Raquel in certain ways. And I, not that I am a Bambi, but more like in this sense, like I'm not a confrontational person mm -hmm. and how I feel like I probably would react if someone who is a kind of strong confrontational personality mm -hmm. would come at me. And watching that was just like, it was unnerving. I hear you. I have to say, you know, I've interviewed her backstage, backstage at Watch What Happens Live, and I've interviewed, and I've uh, socially been in the same space with her at at BravoCon. I feel like there's one other example, but I can't remember that on top of my head if there was. Um, and she was nothing but lovely, friendly, generous, down to earth. Um, 
you know, like the top tier of any Bravo celebrity, I would say like Ariana is is right there. But um, Lala couldn't have been lovelier. And, you know, I had a conversation with her, I think at Watch What Happens on the Bravoholics special of, of Andy, Andy's Girls, where I was talking to her a little bit about her like sobriety journey. I'm, I don't live a sober life and I haven't dealt with that kind of addiction before. I was just really um, impressed with how open she was about that and since then how open James has been and and watching their growth regardless of some of the choices that she's made since then um has just been really impressive to me especially on a kind of show that's sort of based around drunken angry antics more so than any other Bravo show which kind of tells you something um and she she was just very open and um and uh very present and so um i thought that was great and i've met you know i've met a bunch of the people from vanderpump rules um and they've all aside from that one little moment with stassi they've all been really um really great so the the moral of the story is if you haven't met these people in person understanding that obviously i've only met a couple of them like irl in in random interaction moments so there is sort of the nature of putting on that face of, of making sure that you're respectful to these people and mm -hmm. representative of the shows, but they've all been honestly like pretty great. I, I haven't, I really don't have any negative stories. There's one person that I've had an extremely negative experience with, which is like another conversation for another day. But when it comes well, to I like, can't the, oh, that. no, that, that'll never see the light. I don't <laughs> some wine but um <laughs> when it comes to like the vpr folks and and just overall overwhelmingly you'd be surprised even people that you maybe aren't a personal fan favorite of these are all grown adults at the end of the day they're still themselves so like for example i haven't necessarily interacted with ramona before which i'm sure is a moment of some sort um they're pretty much great honestly these are people who know who they are who, who've you know been able to create a lot of success for themselves and they're they're pretty respectful in my personal experience to the bravo community which i think is awesome yeah, yeah. so happy to hear that because sometimes you just don't know and you don't know yeah yeah, yeah. But I would like to know your thoughts because I saw your post recently and I've been watching what you're you're saying. <laughs> and I know with everything with Kelly Dodd and since you seem like you're you're such a big fan of OC, like where are you mm -hmm. seeing everything going and how are you feeling right now? So my best response to that is I just uh, did an episode with Richie Skye, who's an incredible pop culture expert and, and um, host, um, which is on YouTube right now. I'd encourage people to watch it where we just really went all in about all things Kelly, um, uh, which just came out today. Um, and the long I was listening to that. Oh, you were? Oh, great. I mean, like it's, Kelly is exhausting at the end of the day. And I, you know, I'm someone who's watched every single episode of every Real Housewives franchise at least twice. And um, I have no plans to watch Orange County, which really tells you something. I just think- Especially because you're a Shannon. Because I stand for Shan. So it's, it's, it's really uh, frustrating and upsetting to me to see how she's behaved and how the network has remained silent. And, and it's just, you know, you watch Housewives to escape, but also connect. And I don't think I would really be able to do either of those if I was watching Orange County. And 
the ways in which I have conversations with people on Andy's Girls and on social media or whatever, it comes from a place of my own curiosity and empathy for understanding other people's stories and experiences. And I wouldn't be able to get past Kelly to really talk about the minutiae of the upcoming season for Orange County. And I know many Bravo-holics and, and, and uh, prominent Bravo accounts who feel the same. And so a lot of us have come to the decision that regardless of whether or not you watch Orange County personally, which I don't plan to do, that it's not a good idea right now to amplify that franchise. That there are some- I know Danny that he's not as well. Yeah. He's not, right. Yeah, and I think that that is um, I think it's smart and I think it's necessary right now. And I think a lot of us are looking to the network to say a lot of these decisions that we're making is just really related to a response that we're not seeing from them. So in many ways, the ball is in their court. We're not really interested right now in amplifying Orange County um, unless or until uh, they use their platform and their voice. Right well, now, we're, we just can't amplify, you know, that franchise. It's just, it's just unfortunate. Did, did you hear the reports that they said that they're like re-editing maybe the season to cut her out? Yeah, I did, and I don't believe them. And I also don't think it matters. I think that Bravo's initial press release or continued press release about the season mentions that a lot of the season's going to be based around Kelly's politics and thoughts and feelings. So I would find it very surprising if the network who knew what they were in for was all of a sudden deciding um, to make drastic changes to the season when they actually did the reverse. They were promoting the season through the lens of Kelly's um, just truly horrific behavior online and IRL. And I don't believe it. I also think it sort of doesn't matter um, because regardless of whether you're cutting her out, she's doing things in real time that are really upsetting, that are dangerous and inappropriate. And her employer needs to say something. If I was, you know, working as I did in retail or if I was producing an event or working with someone on a podcast episode and they behaved in 10% of the manner that Kelly is behaving, I would have no choice but to respond. And I am not Bravo TV, but I do know that the network has a responsibility and a duty to use their platform responsibly and to say that if someone that they're paying right now, a current employee is acting in the manner that Kelly is, that it needs to be publicly called out. And the fact that they're not is, is unfortunate and it's upsetting to a lot of people. And so right now, unfortunately, even though as we know, I stand for Shan, right now I, I have no choice but to, to put Orange County on pause until I feel like the voices of so many people, including so many black viewers and, and black revoholics have really been represented and heard. So it's unfortunate. It's upsetting. We need new content. I need new content now more than ever. I host a podcast about the Real Housewives, but what I'm excited about and looking forward to is Salt Lake City, which looks amazing. amazing. Unbelievable. And Atlanta will be shortly thereafter and Potomac is ongoing. And before we know it, New Jersey will be around the corner. And you know, Orange County is unlikely to be discussed on Andy's Girls, and it's okay because there are so many other incredible franchises to pick apart. So there well, we go. Yeah, I would love if um if you would be interested when um Salt Lake City comes back on. Oh my god! Atlanta to have you on to discuss. Yes, I would love it. I, I would love it. Talk 
all day, every day. Like I want to wake up and like, besides just putting on your podcast, like hear direct <laughs> conversation. It's so, so interesting. Oh but my God. I do want to end yeah, our podcast please. asking you this major oh, yeah. question that define you as a human, <laughs> which is call, text, delete. Oh, Jesus. Yes. And okay. I, we, we were going to do, um, New York franchise, but mm-hmm. I think we should do a different franchise. <laughs> okay. Just like kind of based on, on our conversation. Yeah. So let's do Potomac. Okay. Okay. Oh my God. Candace. <laughs> okay. Karen. Okay. Monique. Okay, I'm gonna, this is actually not that complicated. I'm gonna call Karen because she's the boss. She's the secret sauce on Potomac. She is the thread. She is the glue. She is a real woman in this world. I wanna talk to Karen. She is, oh my, I, she is everything. She is the OG that needs more attention. So call Karen, it was called Textly. Call Karen, was Monique one of the options? Yes. Text Monique because Monique's going to respond to you regardless of what's going on in her life. She's going to give you great uh, advice. I don't have a baby or a bird, but I know if I had either, she would be the person with a lot of info. And delete Candace. Not even a question. That's a quick guttural response. I love this. By the way, literally, I would have the same. Oh, would you? Oh, great. I love that that so much. I love that game. Oh my God. No, I love that. I love a thinker. That's amazing. Oh, yay. We're so glad. Thank you so much for your time and for joining us. I have like a million more questions and I want to talk to you so many more times. I can tell, obviously, Dina feels the exact same schedule like another another time that works for you i'd be happy to you guys are incredible and and your instagram page is like so amazing need to follow asap incredible so many style choices and you're both so introspective and insightful i had a blast thank you so much for having me and thinking of me this was incredible this was so much fun you i bet they know already just i mean i think they probably don't um instagram (laughs) at dame galley dame galley and you can listen to andy's girls wherever you listen to your favorite podcast so apple pod spotify wherever you are and more information just on me myself and i can be found at sarahgalley.com but follow me on instagram and listen to yes yes the best podcast i love it so much thank you the day it really oh, is. It's when I'm driving home and going to work, it's what I listen to. So. Oh my God, that's so sweet. Thank you both so much. You are like beyond amazing. This was a complete blast. It was we a great way to spend same. a Thursday. Oh, I'm so happy. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. If you want to follow us across our platforms, you can find us on Instagram and TikTok at Stylishly Solomon. Solomon spelled with all O's, S-O-L-O-M-O-N. And also on our Instagram, you can find links in the bio to follow us on Amazon and like to know it and shop our looks and find out our fashion breakdown. 
If you like this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and leave a comment. We always love to hear your feedback. We thank you for thinking of us and we appreciate your love and support.